0: Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we can join together this day. Lord, we do thank you that the rain has gone and the sun is shining. Now is the time for singing. Lord, we thank you for your word, which gives to us your will. And reveals to us the great gift of marriage. We thank you for the greatest gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bless Phil and Julia in their new life together. But Lord, we also ask that you would highlight for us what great gift you've given us in holy matrimony. Let our understanding be buttressed, let our resolve be firm, and let our hearts be enlivened with your grace and love. Amen. Well, I can't tell you how delighted I am to have the privilege to officiate on this day. I can remember both Phil and Julia coming into this parish as part of this congregation I remember those days greatly. And it's always wonderful for a pastor or a priest to get the opportunity to witness this and officiate just even over one person. And I have the great blessing of, of having both of you as my, my parishioners. And I'll hate to lose you as, as you go off to Michigan. But as you've chosen such good texts today... I want to look at holy matrimony in marriage, and this is not going to be a typical wedding sermon because, of course, it's Sunday, and so we're going to look and examine biblically and, and at the, um, the purposes and what marriage is, and hopefully that will be edifying to all of us. It's a great thing to be able to celebrate a wedding on Sunday morning in the midst of the wider community, for in fact, marriage is not something private, but something public for the greater good, not just of the couple, but for every life who they touch, particularly in the church and generally in society. First, we're going to talk about holy matrimony. What is holy matrimony? First of all, does anybody recognize that term anymore? What is matrimony? What is this thing? If we look at the Book of Common Prayer, we see that the service is labeled the solemnization of holy matrimony. That's supposed to make us sit up and take notice and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? What's going on here? How is this different from the common parlance of marriage. Well, first of all, holy matrimony is what? Holy, right? Holy. It is set apart, something established by God at the beginning of creation. In Genesis, God institutes and forms the institution of, the estate of, however you want to look at it, holy matrimony. Before the fall, before human beings had sinned, holy matrimony is created. And therefore, it's something that we enter into. That's the first thing. It's not something that we create. No government, no court, no church governing board, no couple can create holy matrimony. It's for that reason that in the Anglican tradition, we don't allow people to write their own vows because that sends the wrong message. That gives people the impression that they're creating this love. But no, this love is not their creation. Rather, it's a gift created by God to be received by us. And it's a wonderful gift with all of its joys and purposes in accordance with God's will. We look back at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, and we read this. We read, And then God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And continuing, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, At last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But most of all, this gift from God is a gift with great joy given by God to men and women the whole world over. I love the passage that you guys selected from Song of Solomon, where we read the first section of that from chapter 2. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, oh if only we could sing today, for we know we would. And yet I'm sure your hearts are singing, as we heard that played on the organ. The Song of Solomon is love poetry. It's written from the king to his wife, and its idiom doesn't always translate, right? If you read the entire book, you'll know that there's imagery in the Song of Solomon that that just doesn't translate in the 21st century. And you made a good selection, by the way. But if you look at that imagery, what does translate is the king's great devotion towards his beloved. The church has said that there's a second reason, way rather, to read the Song of Solomon. And it's not just about the king writing to his beloved, but it's also a way of seeing how God expresses his love to his beloved, the church, to his bride, his chosen people. And so we see that both of these truths are embodied in this scripture. Both the truth of a love between a man and a woman and between God and his church. There's no contradiction there. There's no contradiction there. There need be no one. For God speaks of his church, his chosen people, those who are found in Christ Jesus as his beloved bride. In Ephesians and Revelation, he says this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, St. Paul writes on the subject. He says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Marriage, you see, just like the song of Solomon, is not just about itself, but it's a gift to the wider world. Holy matrimony is this image of God's love for his church. It's the greatest gift of Jesus Christ. But it's demonstrated between man and wife in holy matrimony in a special way. For this reason, the church has long called holy matrimony either a sacrament or a sacramental rite. In our Anglican tradition, we call it a sacramental rite. What does that mean? It means that in the midst of the wider community, we find marriage to be an instrument of God's grace. That there's something going on beyond just a covenant, beyond just vows, beyond just a promise. So that in marriage, we see Christ at work. That can be seen throughout the purposes outlined in the marriage service for holy matrimony. When a quick Christian man enters into holy matrimony with a Christian woman, they step into something that gives grace and life beyond themselves, and they show forth Christ's love. They receive his love as a gift And they give that gift to the wider community. In it, God has given us a huge privilege in seeing his creation and joining him in creation. The purposes for which God has ordained holy matrimony are found in that preface, which is found in your bulletin. Take a look with me at that. It's called, it's in the preface section of it. It's outlined. You all know the words very well. It begins, dearly beloved, and continues on, right? What are the purposes for marriage outlined here, according to the Bible? Number one, procreation. Number two, mutual joy and help. Number three, sexual purity. And number four, the building up of God's kingdom. Those are awesome things, aren't they? And without God's grace, we would be lost to be able to even fathom accomplishing them. And yet, that's the purpose of this sacramental rite. That's what you're entering into, that institution, nothing less That's why the next line, right before the declarations, the prayer book says it's not to be entered into lightly or unadvisedly. The old prayer book says wantonly, right? But rather reverently, sorry, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was ordained by Almighty God. So let's look at those purposes. Let's look at those aspects of joining God in creation. The gift of creation, first of all, for procreation. Be fruitful and multiply, Genesis says. God commands Adam and Eve as he gives them dominion over the entire earth to be fruitful themselves and multiply. In biblical marriage, the purpose of new life together is intrinsically and unbreakably connected with bringing forth new life, Just see. Right from the very beginning, as your lives are melded together, new life can issue forth. You take a hand in creation itself. But it doesn't end there. It's not just about reproducing ourselves or procreating, but it's about nurturing, bringing that new life into the world and raising him or her to know God, to know all about this wonderful world and all about the lesser wonderful parts of it, to know Jesus as their Savior, to raise them spiritually and physically. That's crucial to marriage. It's a great gift. And so the Christian teaching has long been that while We may delay procreation. It's never supposed to be impeded or prevented in Christian marriage. To be open to life. To see that gift for what it is. And as a father of less, well, more than a year, slightly more than a year now, I can say that that gift is one of the most wonderful things in the world. In fact, it's so wonderful that sometimes people mistake it for being the center of life, right? They worship their children. We see that sometimes. But it's easy to see why. It's part of God's great gift to us. Look at the psalm that you read to each other. This is a selection from Psalm 128. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So the psalmist is saying this is a great blessing to teach and raise children. This imagery of a fruitful vine and of olive shoots is an imagery of prosperity that comes with that. It's so wonderful. It shows God's great love in creating us. It gives us a different vantage point on that. His, his vantage point as we bring new life into this world. Let's look at the second reason for holy, for holy matrimony. Also in accordance with God's command. Mutual joy of the bride and the groom to help and give comfort to one another. Is there anything like the longevity of marriage to inspire us? Have you ever known some long-married couples? And how they can even anticipate what one another are thinking they know each other so well. It can be scary at times, right? Back when I was at uh, St. Barnabas, there was a couple there I knew who were married 79 years before The husband died. 79 years, think about that. They were married very young, and against their parents' approval, I might add, their parents said it would never last. And 79 years later, they were both in their 90s, and they would come to the 8 o'clock service, and you could just see the longevity, the great love, the mutual joy that this sacramental rite had brought to them how inspiring that is. Of course, physical marital relations are part of that too—comfort, help given to one another freely. But that's part of a larger context, isn't it? It's part of the larger context of Genesis two eighteen that it's not good for a man or a woman to be alone. It's not good for human beings to be alone. Woman needs man and man must have his mate. that no one can deny. We know from that classic song, As Time Goes By, from one of my favorite classic movies, Casablanca. You guys seen that one? That's a good one, right? Each one of the two sexes brings something the other doesn't have It's more than just personality. It's the fact that God designed men and women to complement one another. That in man and woman together, there's a completeness. That the image of God found in both sexes is somehow revealed better in a partnership. In addition to the creation story, Jesus himself spoke on this reality when he was teaching on the subject of marriage in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, Haven't you read? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We'll quote that later. It's not only God's plan that men and women join together in marriage. It's actually God. This is according to Jesus. It's actually God who joins them together. Do you see what he's saying here? What God hath joined together. That as much as our vows matter, as much as our fidelity matters, ultimately it's God that melds us into one in marriage. And so there again we see the great gift. The third purpose, to maintain sexual purity. The Bible is very clear that the only moral and good place for sexual acts are within holy matrimony. All we have to do to see evidence of the other side of that is look around. When sexual acts are done outside of marriage, it brings all kinds of destruction. Broken families, betrayed trusts, hurt feelings. But sexuality itself is a gift, and so God gives us that gift in holy matrimony as well. God's not so foolish as to think that when it comes to sexual passions... We can control them on our own. He created these within us for pleasure and procreation, but he also created them for us in purity. God gives us marriage as a safe and good way to act upon and enjoy these wonderful things. It has been said that marriage is like a well-built stove, in which a fire can be kindled with great intensity. I have a wood burner that I use to heat our house. And you can look over in the winter time, you guys have been over and seen it, and see the thermometer, and it gets up to 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, what would happen if I built a 1,000 degree intense fire on my living room floor? There wouldn't be a living room floor very long, for one, and my house would burn down and all my possessions with it, for another. Engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage is like building a fire on your living room floor. But God gives us the gift of marriage as a container, like that stove. When that fire is going in that stove, It gives great warmth, comfort, and health to all those in the house. So is marriage a gift in this area as well. In our modern society, there's this idea that somehow emotional security, fidelity, and trust can be divided from sexuality. But the idea is that they're one and the same. That intimacy of one has to be with intimacy of the other. The heart, the body, the mind as the preface to the prayer says, have to all be linked together. We even have a word today in this division that would have been laughed at, and rightly so, a hundred years ago. How many of you have heard the, the, the phrase sexual identity? What a foolish phrase that is. This is my sexual identity, as if your identity is rolled into your sexual preference. How foolish, how vile, how against God's intention. In fact, we cannot identify ourselves by our sexuality, otherwise we will be destroyed. C.S. Lewis famously writes in his book, The Four Loves, we may give our human loves and the unconditional allegiance, which we owe only to God. But when we do, they, become, they don't become gods, they become demons, and then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves. Sexual fulfillment and pleasure is made for relationship. Marriage is that committed relationship That restrains and channels it again into creation of great joy and new life. It is a gift from God. Point number four. Holy matrimony is not for its own good as you can probably already see or perhaps it's better to say it's not merely for its own good. But it's for the good of the church, in addition to the couple, and for the good of society at large. Holy matrimony is a good of the community. And therefore, I am thrilled to be doing this here in our community. Here in our fam- with, with your family and with our church family, as Phil and Julia wed, they are building a new community. The most basic Social contract, and of course, so much more. One bound together to the other in covenant. That community will be a place of stability and joy for each of them and for their future family, whatever that looks like. But this small community of these two persons is also the building block of the church, and it's also the building block. Of their city, state, and country. Again, I only wish that it was going to be built here, but we can trust in God that that community will thrive in Michigan, yes, even in Michigan, as you return there afterwards. As theologian Mark Knoll writes in his commentary, The evidence of social science is overwhelming that faithful families with a father and mother are the setting for wider social stability. By God's providence, the day will come when God's order is restored to the benefit of the public sphere. That's part of our mission as the church. The passage that you chose from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, underlines the this fact, that marital love is encompassed by Christian love, right? For the wider community, Colossians 3.12, we read, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What's the apostle here saying? He's saying that a Christian's relationship with his spouse or her spouse or with the wider church is based on these things. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness patience and bearing with one another continuing with verse 14 and above all these put on love which builds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful the couple the family the church The society that lives by these principles will be incredibly blessed by God with great joy and peace. But at the same time, notice how he says, put on love to bind them all together. Now, this congregation's been going through a sermon series on 1 John. We just finished that. And so we know all about what Christian love or charity is, right? The fact that it's not something we can build, but it's something bestowed upon us that we can then excel in as a theological virtue. The family built on that will endure. The couple whose relationship is built on that will last forever. But, holding on to these ideals and principles and building upon them is, in the end, not what makes that success. It's true, they're good to guide us, but ultimately, notice what's at the heart of what St. Paul says in that passage. Love and forgiveness. Why? Because even at our best, we cannot love this way on our own. I can tell you that even in the best of marriages, sometimes we have to rely on God's grace. I should amend that and say always we have to rely upon God's grace, but sometimes we're more aware of it than others. God's grace brings us to that place of loving the other person so much and so unconditionally that we can set ourselves aside and say, for the good of God, for the good of love, for the good of our relationship, I ask your forgiveness, dear. Help me. Help me. You see, that's the center of it all. God's love, God's gift, creation, creation, Restoration, health, mutual joy, sexual purity, and building up the kingdom all comes from abiding in the love of Christ. So my charge to you, congregation, is to better understand holy matrimony, whether you're married or not, help uphold those who are. And to you, Phil and Julia, as you start this new life together, you're doing it right. I know both of you. We've had lengthy premarital counseling, right? Over Zoom, as it has been. But I've known you before that. And I've seen how the Holy Spirit demonstrates God's love through you as individuals, whether in Sunday school, or whether being a catechist and leading a section of the church, whether participating in the good of the community with the convoy of hope, all of those things that you can look back upon. We see the fruit of God's love in each of you. Together, think of how much more God will use you for. He will. For united in holy matrimony... You're more than just the sum of one another. You're something new. You're something beloved. You're a gift from God to the community, to your families. But ultimately, you're vessels for God to bring these gifts, not just to yourselves, but to everyone whose lives you touch. I praise God for that, and I ask his blessing upon you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.